1: A science story, huh? These
0: NYU scientists—they uh, it felt, 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 felt really right. strange, so and I just felt well. I figured
2: it, wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment because science was on my side. <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Aaron Barker, and today I actually have new, live-recorded stories that were told on an actual stage to share with you. Today's stories are from last month's Proton Prom, a hybrid event that Story Collider held here in New York at Caveat. These stories were both told in front of a very small and vaccinated in-person audience and a bigger audience watching at home online. And both of these stories are about feeling trapped somewhere, whether it's at the border or in the aftermath of an acid spill. After the past year, I think we can all relate to the feeling of being trapped in some way, shape, or form. Our first story today is from Story Collider's first Super Collider winner, Kimberly Chow.
1: I'm 19. I'm halfway through college, and it's summertime, so I come home to Georgia. Thank you. (laughs) I come home to Georgia. I'm interning at this startup and they give me a blowtorch. This blowtorch gets to blast platinum at a substrate, creating a battery that's going to last forever. This is also known as a fuel cell. They put me in a giant Costco-sized warehouse and they give me my very own lab hood to do my work in. Every day, it's lab coat, goggles, earplugs, purple rubber gloves, closed-toed shoes, and I think, this is making me look exactly like I am supposed to be, like the scientist that I am becoming. One day, I'm at my lab hood, and I'm changing out the bolts on a tank of sulfuric acid. And this tank, oh my, it is It is falling. It's falling in slow motion out of the hood and into my lap and down both of my legs. Oh, my God. I scream. My boss and two other men come running over. Exchange of words happen. I don't really know what's being said, but between the three of them, I hear something like, she needs to get in the emergency shower right now. Actually, no, first she needs to take off all of her clothes because otherwise the acid will just continue to stick to her. Well, hang on guys, we can't have her get naked in front of all of us, this is an open warehouse. Are we even really sure she spilled it on herself? I mean, look at her pants, they don't look that wet, right? All I know is right now, my my legs are tingling and I'm not really sure if it's the panic rising in me or or just the acid, I don't know, but what I do know is These men, I expected them to have all the answers. They should know what to do. They are big adults. They are at least 30 years old. And they all have PhDs. They should know everything. And they do. They tell me, okay, plan B, you're going to take this extra lab coat. You're going to go to the ladies room and close the door behind you. Take off your clothes and just proceed to pour as much water as you can on yourself. Okay, okay, I do as I'm told, I go. Beaker, after beaker, I keep filling it up from this bathroom sink and trying to get as much on me as possible, but really it's just turned the whole bathroom into a water party for me. But then a woman walks in the door. I've never seen her before. I don't know who she is, but she starts talking at me, something about the CDC, something about a chemical containment chamber, and what I do follow is I need to follow her. So I walk out of that bathroom with her. And as I cross the threshold out back into the warehouse, I see 300 faces in front of me. They're all looking at me. It's a small company. Everybody that works at the company is there with me. And I am cold. And I'm very aware that I am practically naked under my lab coat. And this is highly uncomfortable. So I just follow her with my eyes down, trying not to make eye contact. We of course have to go to this chamber that is on the far side of the warehouse. And so behind me, I'm leaving the long wet trail of my little footprints on the concrete floor for everybody to know where I have gone off to. Everyone is now going to know me at this company. They're gonna know me as the girl who spilled acid on herself, as the girl who ruined their safety track record, as the girl who is not a real scientist. Well, apparently the CDC has been called and I need 20 minutes of continuous running water. That beaker, beaker after beaker, still wasn't going to cut it. So thankfully this chamber has a hose. It also has a heavy sliding metal door so that My propriety can be kept intact behind it. And this woman proceeds to take the green hose and she points it at me, like I have become her garden plant that she's going to water. I don't really wanna look at her while she's doing this. So I turn my back on her. And as I do so, I can still picture her even though I'm not seeing her. But I see an executive secretary. She is dressed in formal attire. Her hair is curled. She's got earrings and really nice shoes on. And as I'm thinking about what she's wearing, I think, hang on, what am I wearing? I'm wearing a red thong. It has my sorority letters emblazoned across the little triangle that sits just above my butt. And I think, well... She's already seen that. If I turn back around now, I'll just have to look at her knowing that she saw that. So I stay put. And we stand there for 20 minutes in silence. After the hose, what I'd really like to do is go home, but I can't. The CDC also says that I need to be observed for a delayed reaction to acid, which could take up to an hour and so I'm given into the care of the janitor, because he is the expert at this. Okay. I have lost my shoes and my pants now at this point, and so he kindly gives me his spare socks and his extra navy jumpsuit. We sit inside of his cubicle together, and I'm his mini-me at this point, from Toe to neck, I am covered completely, now with a giant zipper that goes up the front. I don't really want to talk to him either, and thankfully he gives me that silence. But what it does lead to is I get 60 minutes to myself to be in my own head thinking, what does a delayed reaction to acid really look like? Am am I going to fall on the floor gurgling? Is is this going to kill me? If if I die, are they going to bury me wearing this jumpsuit, it's, it's really ugly on me. And I think it could only be worse if it, was, if it was orange, really. So I just sit there again for my hour. And when my prison sentence is finally up, I get to leave. I leap into my car with joy. And I am so relieved to be finally pulling back into my own driveway. Of course, as I'm pulling up, what do I see? my grandmother is there. I knew that she was coming to visit today, and I forgot, of course, still. And she is coming out of that garage with her eyes smiling at me, ready to give me a hug. And the moment that her arms fall from that position, I can tell that she, she, she has noticed what I am wearing. In fact, she's even noticed what I'm not wearing. I get out of the car, and she says, where are your shoes? How did this happen? And I think, that's a good question. I mean, how did I get here? I don't speak enough Chinese to be able to express what's happened to her, but I have a feeling that even if she was fluent in English, I would still not have the answer to her question. Two months go by, and now I'm back at college. I'm still thinking about grandma's question. How did I get here? I mean. I remember as a kid, my mother always taught me A equals average, B equals bad, C equals failing. And if you're wondering what F stands for, if C is failing, well, she said, F is where I disown you. Well, naturally, I didn't want to be disowned. So I made a very strong point to get straight A's for average. I happened to stand out in chemistry, and both of my parents were engineers, so I had to become a chemical engineer. Now, when it came to college acceptance letters, I did get some choice. I was given the choice between Georgia Tech and MIT. And as a kid growing up in Georgia, my dream was to go to Georgia Tech. I thought it was my destiny. Given the choice, I also knew what I wanted, though. I wanted a new winter wardrobe. None of the clothes I already owned would suffice for a Boston winter. So I picked MIT. Now, even though I went up north, I was required to come back home for the summer. And that's how I wound up picking this internship, which leads me to the acid. The acid that corroded the bolts, holding the tank, and then gravity chose to make that tank fall on me. I feel like so much of my life was already set in motion without me. And I wonder to myself, is this really me? I mean, I appreciate the science and the research that I'm doing, but what I'm lacking here right now is human connection. And after this summer, I'm positive that acid is not my friend. So after graduation, I don't go home to Georgia like I was supposed to, nor do I go back to the lab. I do, however, leave my mark on that company. They erect Kimberly Memorial Shower Curtains in my name so that my spirit for science will always be there. Thank you.
2: Kimberly Chow. Kimberly is a walrus, or rather, she is known to play with her food and make a walrus face. Professionally, she manages investment portfolios and teaches financial literacy. Kimberly was also the champion of Storyclider's first Super Collider science storytelling competition, and you can find her original story on our website as well. One thing before we continue Storyclider would like to hear from you. How do you feel about returning to in-person live shows? Would you like us to keep producing any of our online programs, whether it's shows, workshops, or slams? If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate your feedback on our survey. We'll be sharing it in the notes of this episode as well as on our website and social media. And now, without any further ado, our next story today is from physicist and comedian Saad Sarwana.
0: The officer picked up my hand and started taking my fingerprints. It was a surreal experience. Just like all the TV shows I'd watched where the perp was getting his fingers fingerprinted. Why was I in this situation? Was I getting arrested? That couldn't be. This wasn't a police officer. This was an immigration officer and I was at JFK Airport. Why had they pulled me aside? Had they found the packets of shan, chicken tikka, and biryani masala I had been smuggling in in my suitcase? I know technically you aren't allowed to bring food into the country, but we're talking about masalas. The Pakistani equivalent of hamburger's helper. If people were getting arrested for that, half the people on my plane would be deported. Normally, in a situation like this, I would crack a joke, but in this tense moment, even my sense of humor was failing me. I stood there silently as the officer manipulated my fingers and completed the fingerprinting process. He then asked me to wait in another room. The room had an open door, so I could see the few other people who had also been pulled aside. As I sat there, I tried to understand why I was being singled out. Had they found out I was a comedian, I had come to the US on a student visa to study physics. And during that time, I'd caught the comedy bug. I had now graduated and moved away from my student F-1 visa to an H-1B visa. The H-1B visa only allowed me to work for the company that was sponsoring my application. No other work was permitted. My student visa, likewise, also didn't allow me to work. But I had been getting good as a comedian, and I was starting to get paid work. So every time I told a joke, I was breaking the law. (laughs) I was one of those immigrants who was taking jobs away from real American comics. (laughs) I had become a political talking point. But how had they found out Last year, I'd made $250 doing stand-up comedy. (laughs) And I hadn't declared any of that on my tax returns. They must have found out. And now I was going to get deported for tax evasion. As I sat there, I envisioned other scenarios. Had they found the pirated DVDs I'd bought on Canal Street, I should have taken those FBI warnings more seriously. With the open door, I could see outside all the other people who were pulled aside and were waiting in the holding area. I was so different from them. Those people looked like they were fresh off the boat or plane in this instant. I wasn't like them. I was a dude. I literally owned a baseball cap which said, Dude. (laughs) I had bought it after watching The Big Lebowski. My backpack had Star Wars keys on it, which I had bought to signify my love for Star Wars and office space. Why had they pulled me aside? That's when I noticed something. Everyone else pulled aside was also brown. So this happened post-9-11, and the U.S. had just initiated a new system called the National Security Exit Entry Registration System, or NSEERS. It would also go by the name of special registration because everyone wants to feel special. Under this program, all Muslim males from majority Muslim countries were supposed to come in and register with immigration. They were interviewed at the point of entry, they were supposed to check in periodically, and supposed to let the immigration know anytime they moved, changed phone numbers, even email addresses. I, of course, didn't know any of this. So in walks this overworked immigration officer and the NCRS program has just started so he has about 100 people to get through and he just wants to get this over with. So he immediately starts peppering me with questions. What are you doing here? What's your work like? I answer as best as I can, but I'm starting to get nervous. And when I get nervous, I get technical. (laughs) So when he asks me about my work, I start explaining him what a superconducting quantum interference devices. <laughs> and when I realized he doesn't understand that, I think maybe I need to go back to theory. So I start explaining him BCS theory. <laughs> Neither of this works on him because he just keeps interrupting me with other questions. That's when I realize that what he's trying to do is figure out if I'm a terrorist or not. Now my parents are lawyers and if anything they've taught me is in a situation like this you need some evidence to clear your name, to exonerate yourself. I can't simply say I'm not a terrorist. That's what a terrorist would say. <laughs> I need some something, what do I have with me that'll help exonerate me? I have my backpack, what do I have in my backpack? I have a lanyard from a superconductivity conference I attended, would that help? Probably not. <laughs> what else do I have? Oh, I recently published my first paper as first author, which I'd taken home to show my parents. I have that in my backpack. I can show that to to him. That'll prove I'm not a terrorist, for sure. Only a true scientist would go through the torture of a peer review protest. (laughs) So I grab my backpack and I try to get my paper out, and that's when he stops me. He explains to me what NCR is in and is and what my responsibilities are now that I've been registered. I'm supposed to check in with the local immigration office and let ICE know anytime I do anything, like change locations, you know, as a you know, move, anything I'm supposed to let them know. I'm in complete shock. I felt so violated. I'm thinking, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? I start contemplating if I truly want to be a part of the society, if it does not want me to be a part of it. I start thinking if I, as a Muslim American, will truly be ever be able to melt in and be an American if this is how I'm treated. And as I'm thinking this, the officer gets up and starts walking out the room. And as he's leaving, he turns to me and says, as alaikum I reply, Waalaikum As-Salaam, which is a standard response to this Muslim greeting. And that's when I notice his ream tag. It says, Muhammad. Thank you.
2: That was Saad Sarwana. Saad is a physicist and stand-up comedian As a physicist, he works in superconductor electronics and is the author of more than 40 peer-reviewed publications and the inventor behind two U.S. patents. As a comedian, he's been doing stand-up and improv comedy for more than 20 years and even won a Moss Story Slam. For six years and more than 100 episodes, Saad was on the Science Channel TV show Outrageous Acts of Science. He is also the creator and host of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Spelling Bee. He's told three previous stories with StoryClider, which you can check out on our website. The StoryClider is so grateful to Kimberly and Saad for sharing their stories with us. The StoryClider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Aaron Barker, with assistance from StoryClider's Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg and senior podcast editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board, our interim executive director, Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, our operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, and our new marketing manager, Nakisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. Our theme music is by Ghost. An additional special thanks goes out to everyone on our producer team who contributed to the Proton Prom, including Paula Croxon, Gastor Almonte, Zach Stovall, Christine Gentry, and most especially Misha Gajewski. As well as Jun Chen and the team at Caveat. And thank you so much to everyone who purchased a ticket or donated to Story Collider at the event, as well as our sponsors, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and Springer Nature. We were so excited to exceed our fundraising goal, and it will be a huge support as we navigate this year in our journey back to the stage. We'll be back next week with a bonus episode of our podcast, and this July, we'll be sharing a very special series of stories called Human Nature about our relationship with the natural world, including stories about climate change, ecology, environmental justice, adventures in the field, and more. Until then, thanks for listening.